Well, good morning and welcome to East Hillsville Baptist Church, to our church family. Welcome back. Welcome home. To our guests, we want to make, hopefully you've made yourselves at home already, but if you are visiting with us, we're honored to have you here. And we would encourage you as our guests to please um, take some time before you rush out to stop by our guest table in the lobby. We have a guest bag we'd love for you to pick up. Also, we'd encourage you to fill out the uh, guest card there or scan the QR code, but we'd love to have a record of your visit. Uh, but this morning, we want to um, make one quick announcement for Elizabeth Walker, our children's director. As you all know, as we've said, we've got Trunk or Treat coming up October 31st on a Tuesday evening. And anytime we have a sign-up sheet, I know you all just rush as fast as you can to go to that sign-up sheet and sign up. But right, there is a sign-up sheet in the lobby, and right now we've got seven trunks signed up. We'd love to have between 20 and 30, so there's a few more to go. So if you are planning to do that, if you would just help us out by go ahead and put your name down so we can plan accordingly, or you can contact the church officer. Just let us know. We will put your name down for you. Uh, that's an important event coming up for us. But uh, as we begin our service, as the choir just sang, this scripture goes right along with it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that we have to gather and worship. Lord, it's something we just often take for granted, but God, may we, as we gather, truly remember who it is we're here for. Lord, this service is not about us, it's about you. And Lord, I pray for those who still are in the dark concerning the powerful message of the cross, your amazing love and grace, and your substitutionary sacrifice. Lord, I pray that eyes will be opened even today. They'd be understanding. But for us who have received it, Lord, it is the power of God, and we are grateful for it, and we want to worship you for it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, and let's prepare our hearts to worship.
Ashley, you got me here. Thank you. Just want to welcome you to Salesville Baptist Church. Typically, we'll spend this time here in just a moment. Uh, I'll invite you to come to the altar. Um, typically, what we do in this time is we spend this time where you can come as a family or come as individuals. And I know you all have requests that you want to make. Uh, and sometimes we'll use this time as kind of like a specific time of prayer. And you, you can still pray for however you want to. But Psalm 122.6 says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And those that love Jerusalem will prosper. And if there's ever been a time to pray for the nation of Israel, it's now. So as they lead us in this time of praise, if you'll meet me here at the altar, and that's one of the things we want to pray for this morning. So if you'll just come on down and meet me here, let's let's lift this uh, part of the world up in prayer. Thank you. now just lift up that part of the world and pray for peace pray that peace will happen also pray for Jews and Muslim who have rejected Christ in both parts of that both sections over there both groups of people Jesus is the answer for what they're facing then as you're praying for them, pray for our nation. Pray that God will touch and bless us. We're a nation full of churches and full of lost people. One of the largest mission fields in the world is here in America. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that we can lift up. Lord, the nation of Israel, we pray for peace there. Father, I don't know the answer to everything that's going on, but I know that Jesus is the answer. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, many, many Jews and Muslims will come to Christ and be saved. Lord, as we're going to talk this morning, that as Christians, we're to pursue peace. And Father, I pray that peace would happen. But Lord, we know that that is not going to happen until the Prince of Peace comes. But Lord, we pray that the hostilities would be calmed down, that people would stop killing each other. Lord, that there would just be a peace over there. And Father, we pray for our nation as well. Lord, I lift our leaders up to you. Pray that they'd seek you and seek your face. Lord, we pray for our churches, that Lord, we would stand on God's word and preach it boldly and never compromise on who Jesus is. And Father, I pray for those that are hurting here at East Hazel Baptist Church. Uh, Lord, we've had several funerals. Lord, people getting bad reports with their health. And Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that you're the answer for their situation as well. And Lord, I pray that you'd do a work in their lives that, Lord, uh, they could sense and that, Lord, you'd be real to them and, Father, you meet their needs. And Lord, I pray that you continue to bless in this service. Father, I pray for those that are watching online today, live. Father, those that will watch it online later this week. Lord, we pray for their needs as well. Many would be in church this morning if they could. They just can't be. And Lord, we pray that you'd bless them and let them know that they're loved by their church. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
Thank you, choir. If you have your Bibles as they're making their way down, stand with me and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We've been going through uh, 1 Peter, this book, for about, I don't know, about four or five months now. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 12. I preached last time on verses 8 through 9. I'll, I'll kind of reiterate or mention a couple things I mentioned there, but the title of the message today is The Good Life. And when you think about that, what makes a life good? And then ask yourself, is your life good? And if so, how do you determine whether or not, in God's eyes, your life is good? And here Peter's going to give us a formula. Notice what verse 8 says. Finally, and that goes back to uh, uh, chapter 1. He says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing knowing that you are called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Then he quotes uh, Psalm 34. He says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, you said that your word would not return void, which means you have a word for all of us today. Father, it's amazing how we can have four to 500 people in a gathering, and every person can kind of get something a little different from the Holy Spirit in your word. So, Father, I pray that you'd speak to us today. Lord, challenge us in our faith and our walk with you. Lord, convict us where conviction needs to fall. And, Lord, change us for your honor and for your glory. If there's anyone that's never placed their faith and trust in the resurrected Christ, I pray that that would be today. And Father, help us, Lord, to seek a good life. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us, and we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. In the Old Testament, we, we, we see a person who, by all intents and purposes, had a good life. He had wealth. He loved his work. He had women, a lot of them. He had wine. He said he loved wine. He did all these things. And then he comes to the end of his life, and notice what the Bible says. He says, so I hated life. He said, I hated it because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. He says, all of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Solomon was probably the richest person to ever live. And when you read Proverbs, you see Solomon as a younger man who's walking with God. And those Proverbs are life-changing, Right? Proverbs are not promises, they're observations, and they're great observations to live your life by. Okay, it is the Word of God. Then you get to Ecclesiastes, and Solomon has lived a life of disobedience and backslidingness, and he says this, as I look back over, over my life, he says, I hated my life. Isn't that awful? What, what, he, he was so wealthy that the Queen of Sheba came in Second Chronicles, it says, and when she saw his wealth, she was breathtaking. Her breath was taken. She couldn't imagine somebody having so much wealth. But we see that in, in life today, don't we? Many of you have heard of Ernest Hemingway, who wrote books, sold millions of books. Um, he lived his life as free as you could be, and then at the end of his life, he commits suicide. Do you realize that the largest group of people that commit suicide today are 60 years or older, when you should be living a good life? So what makes for a good life? What makes for a good life? Well, Peter tells us, and it all involves with being a Christian. Notice the first thing here. The first thing that you need to notice is, if you want to live a good life, you got to fight like a Christian. You have to. you got to fight like 
a Christian. And I want to remind you that Jesus said this, I have come to give you life and give you life abundantly. But notice what Peter says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil. Now think about that for a moment. The, two weeks ago when I preached, the last point I made was don't hit back. Isn't that hard not to? Don't you want to? Isn't it in your nature if somebody strikes you, in, whether it's verbally or physically, to hit back? And that doesn't mean you can't defend yourself. And I've always found it easy not to hit back a larger person, right? If they're tough... Easy. Hey, brother, I'm being like Jesus today. But let's take me, for example, hitting back a, a smaller person. No, I like Bobby Johnson. I could tend to him easy, right? It'd be harder for me not to hit Bobby back, all right? But think about this for a moment. He says, don't return evil for evil. He says, if you're going to be a, a Christ-like person and you're going to live a good life, you've got to learn how to fight. And you do not return evil for evil. The Bible talks about this often. Do not get even. The golden rule says to do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. The common rule is to do unto others as they do to you. H.B. Charles says this. He says, but revenge, retribution, and retaliation are not Christian options. Now listen. Doesn't mean you can't defend yourself and your family and your country. Doesn't mean that at all. But he says this. If the deed has been done, he says revenge, retribution, and retaliation are not Christian options. We must not repay evil for evil. Right, do you have a plan to get somebody back? God says don't do it. Do you have a plan to get somebody back? That's revenge. Retaliation is doing it, right? Do you have a plan? One Puritan wrote this, To return good for evil is godlike. To return good for good is manlike. To return evil for evil is beastlike. To return evil for good is devil-like. And who are you like? To repay evil for evil, he says, accomplishes nothing. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth only leaves everyone blind and toothless. Isn't that the truth? If you're going to have a good life, you must fight like a Christian. This was an Old Testament principle as well. Uh, the Bible says this in the Old Testament. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but, I, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. God says, don't you hold a grudge and don't you retaliate. Solomon says this in Proverbs, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord. Don't take his business over. Proverbs 24 says this, Do not say, Thus I shall do to him as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his works. Don't say that. That's not the right response. So if you want to live a good life, you've got to fight like a Christian. And then along with that, the second thing is this, you have to talk like a Christian. You know why? Notice what he says. He would love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. One scholar put it this way. We are prone to do with our words what we cannot do with our works. Isn't that the truth? We are prone to do with our words what we can't do by our works. How a Christian talks will determine how good your life is. See, Peter was talking to Christians who couldn't fight back. They were living under bondage to the Roman Empire, but they could talk about it. And Peter says, you're not going to fight back. You're going to lose, right? But boy, you're tempted to use your mouth to destroy somebody else's life to get back at them. And God says, don't do that. As James said, it's the hardest member of your body to control. Is that not the truth? He says, what a, what a big fire, a little spark with your tongue, can cause. This is it not truth? 
And Peter says, if you're going to live a good life, you have to speak words of good things. Speak good things. Do not use your words as a way to get back at somebody else. That's, that's not getting even God's ways. Jesus says this. He says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. In verse 9, it says this. If you'll notice back there with me. He says, not returning evil for evil. That's physically. Or reviling for reviling. That's with your mouth. On the contrary, blessing. That's where we get the word eulogy. Almost every funeral service I participate in, there's part of a eulogy there where you talk about that person and what they meant to you. Even though that person may have done bad things, at a funeral you're going to talk about the good things, right? You're going to eulogize that person because we all got bad and good in us. We all do. And what Peter is saying is this in verse 9. If somebody is reviling you and being evil to you, then speak a blessing over their life. Isn't that amazing? That is so contrary to what we want to do. It's, I'm a steal. I've told you this before. And it's not normal for us not to hit back. It's not normal for me to keep my mouth shut. I don't know if you know that or not. But it, it's not. It's, it goes against my nature. But when God saves you, he gives you a new nature. And you've got to always fight the flesh. Because with your mouth, you can cause so much damage. I remember being uh, doing a one on council time. And y'all have seen this, this before. And I had three, uh, three tubes of toothpaste. And I said, all right, let's see who can get the toothpaste out the fastest. Well, the kids got the toothpaste out. I said, now see how fast you can put that toothpaste back in the bottle. You can't do it, right? And I said, and I'd heard this illustration from somebody else. I said, that's how your words are. Oh, they come out so quick, don't they? You're texting, your social media, where you're getting back at somebody. It's there forever. You do realize that, don't you? What you say about somebody else will stay with them forever. Please be careful what you say and how you say it. That's why James says, be swift to hear, be slow to speak. It goes against our nature, don't it? I mean, it goes against our nature because we automatically want to strike out and say and defend ourselves and use words. Jesus said, if somebody's persecuting you in his day, he says, you bless that person. Notice what, what the Bible says about Jesus. When being reviled, he did not revile in return while while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Godly conversation. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. The Lord's brother says this, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worth, worthless. Let me read that again. The Lord's brother says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. That'll change how you respond on social media, won't it? You think you're religious and you're going to say this about a person in public? Why would you do that? See it all the time. Just stay out there. You, you know what's sad in this county, and I've shared this with you a bunch of times. Somebody will mess up from a church then everybody gives their opinion on that person, and you don't even know that person. James said this. This is what he said. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. And he said, if you cannot speak in a Christ-like manner, it's better not to speak. Notice what he says. Let him refrain. That word, that word is keep. That means give it a cease and desist order. 
But just stop it. This, this, this could change your, your home life as well. Some, some, some of the most critical, mean-spirited people I've ever met come from churches. Why? I don't get it. The power of life and death is in the tongue. Psalm says, he says, keep your tongue. That word refrain or keep is a forceful term that means to cease and desist. It is a spiritual warfare against sinful words. The psalmist says this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips. I remember when I was, uh, hadn't been a Christian long and God changed my vocabulary, thankfully. It's pretty bad, right? Just, just tried to be a better person speaking. And I remember a Sunday school teacher one time, he said, you know, if, if you do something, or even if you stump your toe, he says, your, your first inclination is going to be, now there's a bunch of 20-year-old boys in this class, is to say something bad. He says, just start singing a song, Amazing Grace. And I remember I was helping my grandpa put tin on a roof of a barn. You know, the nails are that big, and you're hitting. And I remember I hit my thumb, and I remember the whole side of my thumb flew out, and my first inclination was to go back to 1988 Jamie Steele and just say what I thought, but you know what I started doing? Singing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. I remember Paul saying, will you stop singing? <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. That's what he says by, look, keep a, he says, put a guard over my mouth. Everybody... Everybody whose kid's going to play basketball in the rec department, keep a guard over your mouth. And all of God's people said, you, you know why I don't go watch kids play rec ball? Because I don't want to see church members, not just church members, or church people yelling at the ref, screaming and hollering, because that six- and seven-year-old basketball game is going to change somebody's life, is it not? I mean, is that not going to change somebody's life? I know your kid's Michael Jordan. I know he's four foot two and white, and he's Michael Jordan, but just it's going to be all right, all right? If they lose, it's going to be all right. Keep a guard. Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Verse 8 speaks of acts of evil. Verse 10 speaks of evil words. We must wage war with both. But here's another battle to fight. He says, keep your lips from speaking deceit. Paul mentioned this in Romans. He says, there's none that does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison, uh, the poison of asp, it's talking about a snake, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. It's amazing how Paul, Peter, in the Old Testament, the psalmist, uh, Solomon, and Proverbs all spoke about the mouth. Listen, he says, the poison of asps is under their lips. One scholar put it this way. One way to recognize poisonous snakes, at least of a certain variety, is by the diamond shape of their head. Such snakes are called pit vipers because their jaws contain sacs that store venom, which the snakes release into their prey when they strike. The deadly strike of the asp is one that killed Cleopatra, was used as a metaphor to describe the mouth of fallen human beings. We have venom in our mouth. If we would love life and see good days, we have to restrain our tongue. The specific evil in view here is the evil of deceit. Satan himself is called the father of lives. There is no truth in him, Jesus says. He makes his living through deception and falsehood. By the use of the lie, he does everything he can to undermine the sanctity of the truth of God. When Pilate asked Jesus whether he was a king, Jesus said, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice, Jesus says. A Christian is defined by Christ as someone of the truth 
And we should guard our life, we should guard with our lives the sanctity of that. When Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, isn't it amazing what he said? Isaiah says this, Woe is me, for I am undone. He called judgment on himself. When he saw the Lord and his glory, he says, I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. So you may not think you're a sinner now and deserve hell, but you will on judgment day. The Bible says your mouth will be shut. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up in the year that King Uzziah died, and he says, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. The first sin that he mentioned is this. Listen, woe is me for I'm undone. He called a curse on himself because I'm a man of unclean lips, like some of y'all, like I am sometimes. Pray and say, Lord, set a guard over my mouth. Lord, help me. Look, He says, because I'm a man of unclean lips. And then he says this, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And what Isaiah would say is this, fight. If you're going to fight, fight like a Christian. If you're going to talk, talk like a Christian or don't talk. Amen? Amen? Use your mouth to bless people, not curse people. The third thing is this. Walk like a Christian. Notice what verse 11 says. Let him turn from evil and do good. Now notice what the word turn means. That means to repent. One of the blessings of the Christian life is that when you repent, God forgives and he cleanses. Is that not a blessing? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to do it. He says, let him turn from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. When scholar says, do right before the Lord, saving faith involves true repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of ways. Turn from evil, he says. Turn away. The verb means to turn away from. There are times to fight and there are times to flee. We should fight evil around us. We should flee the evil within us. Likewise, he says this, you must do good. Christians should be people that are known for doing good things. You should be kind. You should be nice when you get an opportunity. I mean, I'm in hospitals a lot. And I even see mean people there. And I'm thinking, it's amazing that you can go into certain sections of a hospital or a tower at Baptist, and you hear people being rude and mean, and every room is filled with people with tragic events happen to them. And I've always told our staff, when you go into a hospital room, you'd be the nicest, kindest person that there is on the planet. Amen? You should be. When somebody's at their worst, we should be at our best, should we not? And we should do that not just when we're at Baptist Hospital, but when we're, when we're at Walmart, right? You don't realize how you're, how, look, do good. Turn from evil, but do something with it. Do good. The Bible says in Acts that Jesus was characterized as going around doing good works. So if you want to be a Christian and, and live a good life, you have to turn away from evil, but you also have to do good. Let that be a part of your life. H.B. Charles says, Godliness is what you do, but you must do good. It is Peter, Peter's repeated call to practical holiness. Part of being holy is doing good. Godliness is not the zealous observance of a religious to do list. Godliness is not how you dress, the kind of music you listen to. It's not how many Bible verses you know, even though all that's good. It's what you do. Don't tell me you're godly. Show me you are. If you've had revival in your life, will you tell your face? 
in your mouth? Do good. That's what he says. Turn from evil. Doing good is the best way to turn away from evil. Spiritual development does not happen by merely pulling weeds. You must plant flowers. Galatians 6 says this, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. Let him seek peace and pursue it, the Bible says. Pursue peace. Be a peacemaker. One scholar says, Peace is a positive and productive relationship that is the result of spiritual well-being. Peace is elusive because we are sinful people. We must be like Jesus and not like Cain. You must pursue peace. To be like Jesus, we must seek peace and pursue it. Peace does not happen automatically. We must seek it. Worldly people look for trouble. Godly people look for peace. Jesus said this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. So you fight like a Christian, you talk like a Christian, you walk like a Christian, and then God says if you do those things, you're going to look like a Christian. Now notice what he says. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Very important word there. Now God is omniscient. He's everywhere. He sees all things. But what Peter says is this, and this is an Old, Old Testament concept, is that if you're my child, my eye's always on you. You know, he says Israel's the apple of God's eyes. Well, the church is the apple of God's eyes. Now, you are. The eyes of the Lord are on, now what's the word? Righteous. And that's the word that means you're right with God. Now, are you right with God? Are you right with God? When did you place your faith in Jesus? If you say, I've always been a Christian, you've not always been a Christian. See, only Jesus can make you righteous. You can't do enough good works to be righteous. And this is also good news as well. If you're a Christian, guess what you are? You're righteous, which means you're right with God. For how long? Eternity. You're righteous right now. Now think about what you did last night. Think about what you did Friday night. Think about what you did last month. Some of you would be, oh, I'd be ashamed if it was put up on the screen. You know what God sees? He sees that you're righteous. I don't change. If that's not your theology, your theology is wrong. You're righteous before God, as you are. Your righteousness is not based on your performance. But he also says this, in the ear, his ears are open to their prayers. So if you're pursuing Jesus and you're repenting like you should, what the Bible says is this, is God's ears are open to your prayers. His ears are open to your prayers. Did any of y'all raise girls? Any of y'all raise girls? Do they ever be quiet? When I used to get in the car taking the girls to school, I'd do this. I mean, just it doesn't help, but you do it anyway, don't you? You can, you can, you can agree with that later. But you do. God doesn't do that to us. He doesn't. He says, the eyes of the Lord on the, are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. You know what that tells me? I like how one scholar put it. He says, he says, what that means is there's nothing too small for God to care about, and there's nothing too big for God to handle. God's ears are open to their prayers, and he goes on to say this, if this is the Lord's posture, what an insult a prayerless life is to God. His face is upon you. The Jews used to say this, Lord, keep your face upon us, which means he has you in view every time. Think about this. Verse 12 says this, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, and he is, he is actually quoting Psalm 34, but the part Peter, Peter didn't put in there is this, 
Verse 16 of Psalm 34 says, To cut off the memory of them from the earth. Which means this. Peter's saying, It's never too late for you to get your life right with the Lord. And this scholar says, Nothing is too big for God to care about, and nothing is too big for God to handle. Because of the finished work of Christ, your failure is not final, and you can begin again. Aren't you thankful for that? I'm going to ask you to stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed for just a moment. As our musicians come, and as they're making their way with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, are you living a good life? Why don't you, just in the quietness of this moment, pray this, Lord, will you set a guard over my mouth? Set a guard over my mouth. And if you need to repent of speaking bad words, then repent. It's a beautiful thing. Make a commitment today, Lord. I'm going to speak good, not bad. I'm not going to repay evil for evil. I'm not going to do it. Then make a commitment today to do good things and pursue peace. And make a commitment today to turn from evil and accept the righteousness of Christ. I would encourage you to run to the cross and trust in the Lord today. Father, as we come to this time of prayer, Lord, this is your time. These are your people. Lord, we've all fallen short of every one of these. Lord, I know I have. Lord, I'm so thankful that you forgive and that you love us. You know all about us and your plan is better for us, for us than we could plan for ourselves. Lord, as we uh, go through life and accumulate things, I pray that we do good with them. I pray that we wouldn't get to the end of our life and be like Solomon and say, everything I've done is meaningless. Lord, the good life means it has purpose, it has meaning, and it glorifies God. Help us to make a commitment today as a church to pursue that good life that not only glorifies God, but it blesses the church and blesses our community. And Father, during this invitation time, if there's anyone here that's never placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that they'd be saved today for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. place your faith and trust in Christ, I'll be here. Kevin and Justin will both be down front here if you want to talk to us about that. We'd love to talk with you about that. We're on a regular schedule tonight. I hope you have a great Sunday afternoon. God bless you and you're dismissed.